0: Yes, the Paolo Friere When you reflect, then act Then reflect on that act and act again Then you reflect and act Then reflect on that act and act again Yes, it's the Paolo Friere Welcome to the Paolo Friari two-step edition of Something Different This Way Comes. Oh, yeah, we will be dancing before we're done. I'm Heather McLeod. I said at the end of last week's edition, the all-bring-our-all edition, and I want to find my hive. Ben and Sam talk about hive mind. I think they're referencing memes or Minecraft, or I don't really know, but... But as a beekeeper, hive mind, to me, means a really strong connected and autonomous community so how do we get to be a part of that that's the question i kept returning to as i thought about what to share with you this week something different this way comes something something different something different something different this way comes something something different something So I knew just whose brain I wanted to pick this week. The woman from whom I learned the phrase, What does good look like? Which is the theme of this season of Something Different This Way Comes. What does good look like? A woman with decades of experience and insight into community development. Or community organizing. Building healthier hive minds. Whatever you want to call my topic today. Plus, she has some impressive academic credentials to boot. Dr. Faye Martin. My mom. Dr. Faye Martin has worked as a community organizer since the 60s. Straight after graduating with her master's in social work, she and my dad, Norman, were hired by Frontier College, and they were sent to Newfoundland. This was before I was born. There they lived and worked in the community as organizers. Two communities, actually. The communities that were adjusting to the great resettlement when people living in outports were moved. Communities were combined and reshuffled and very deeply challenged. A few years later, after moving to Toronto just in time to have me, and then my sister, she and my dad founded a company called Common Act, which was intended to offer the kind of support to grassroots organizers that they wished they had had when they were working in the field. This was by then the early 70s. And after a bit, they added to their team Michael Fay. Mom and Mike actually did quite a bit of work together up here in northwestern Ontario when I was a toddler, consulting with and training grassroots change agents, not just here, actually all over the province, including several indigenous groups and communities from whom they learnt. I think, as much in many ways as they might have taught. They kept on doing this work when my mom and dad divorced and Mike and his wife divorced and mom and Mike got together. This is all still in the early 70s. It's a busy time. And it was just the start. Mum has never slowed down. I guess you could say that community organizing was the soup I was steeped in growing up. In the later 70s, Mom brought a community organizing perspective to a somewhat more conventional social work career when we moved out to Alberta, where she'd grown up. Though she and Michael always had an oar in something, helping make things happen in so many ways, no matter where we lived. When we were teenagers, back in Toronto, she was working with kids our age, who were then being aged out of the child welfare system, creating a community called Park. When she retired from salaried work, Faye Martin, mom, founded and continues to be active in a not-for-profit called Places for People, which creates affordable housing in the rural county where she lives, Halliburton County, down in cottage country. I'll include a link to their website on my page for this episode at www.somethingdifferentthiswaycomes.ca so you can check it out. They, they do amazing stuff. At any rate, County, that is where I called her through my fancy online recording studio to have this conversation. And while we were talking, I was worried that uh, her audio wasn't coming through loud and clear. But now that I listened to the recording, I don't love the way that my audio came through. But I hope you will forgive me the shortcomings of the audio. I think it's a great conversation. So welcome to my podcast, Mom.
1: Very happy to be here.
0: Good. I want to uh, start by asking about community organizing, like what it is. What does it look like when it's done well? You've talked about it as a practice, like, you know, medicine is a practice, the law is a practice, something that you need training and experience to really be able to, to practice well. But what do you think is, is key? What, what does the job look like when it's done well?
1: Well, when community organizing is done well, it's invisible. Uh, So what you see is that a a community, and we can talk about what defines a community, but you see a group of people moving together and achieving their goal, whatever their goal is, and feeling like they're in charge of what's happening. So strong sense of agency and cumulative action that leads to solving uh, a bigger problem. And when you ask even them about what's happening, they they're often not quite sure about why they're doing this, but it's just that, well, a bunch of us got together and we had this idea. And so we're, yeah, we're just, we're just working together to make this thing happen. And they might say, they probably do say, so-and-so does this and the other person does that. And they might identify what I would call the organizing role, but that that organizer won't be the leader. They'll be an idea person. They'll be a guide they'll be a mentor in many ways. So they'll say things like we had to figure out how to talk to the media and I'd never done it before, but the organizer uh, was was really helpful and and I did it really well. Right. So the organizer is of the group, but doesn't lead the group. Um, And the group depends on them, but they don't see them as being their boss in any way. They see them as being a supporter. So Yes, yeah, so when it's well done, the people accomplish the goals they set out to accomplish and feel that that is their accomplishment. They wouldn't say that somebody came in and said we should do this and told us how to do it and we did what they said we should do and it happened. They would, they would feel within themselves the sense of agency. That to me is the key issue. That's the key issue.
0: Agency. So... What you're describing is a job that's really about listening, yep and responding and not about leading and imposing in any way.
1: Yes, first you need to find an issue that um, that a group of people share that brings a people group of people together, right I, often it's a really fairly big issue and people people feel overwhelmed about how to solve it, because it's so big. They don't kind of know where to get started. So the organizer's job is first to pull together a group of people that want to do something to solve the problem. Uh, what you exclude are people who want to describe the problem, to um, uh, bemoan the problem, to describe just how terrible and and uh, impossible it will be to solve. So you don't want the naysayers or the eors. You want the people who who want to do something to solve the problem, even if they aren't sure what to do, where to start.
0: This is where your expression, what does good look like? This yeah. is what's ringing in my head because it's oh, your expression. I've made yeah. it the theme of this season, yeah. but it's your expression and it's the way that I've seen and heard you yeah. shut up the Eeyores and the naysayers because sometimes you can't exclude them. They're at the table, but you yeah. want to take the energy away from them.
1: Yeah. Well, or or, 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 or find, get them to find their on button, right? Because the whole thing is, if you aren't part of the solution, you're part of the problem. That's another little aphorism. You don't want to be exclusive, but what you want to do is create the conditions under which, that's another of my favorite expressions, create the conditions under which everybody can find a way to solve the problem about which they feel strongly. And so... Um, among that group of people, you're going to find a fair diversity of skills and perspectives. So the second thing the organizer needs to do is what Alinsky would call cutting the issue. Uh, Friere would call it something a little different. Okay, who are these people you're referencing? Okay, so this is kind of interesting too. So, so. Um, In the early days of organizing, so we're talking the 60s and 70s, there was a bit of a push-pull between community organizing and community development. Community organizing was kind of an American construct, and the big thinker in that field was Saul Alinsky, who was um, a a Russian Jew of entrepreneurial, working-class family, um, who nevertheless went to university, um, very smart man, and he he had a whole methodology that became very influential in the United States. And his approach basically was getting the leaders of the various organizations around the table, and I'm gonna say manipulating them. There are others who would disagree with that word, but, but manipulating them into taking action that solves whatever the problem that the community that these this group of people serves uh, feels strongly about. So that was community organizing community development which was more a canadian construct the 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 thinker there was paulo frieri who actually was a chilean and uh his idea was finding the generative theme he just came at it from a a totally different thing so a generative theme was the idea that held a group of people together the thing that they all kind of a basic value the thing that they all cared about Um, and he said that you proceed by helping people name their world with their words. His idea was that um, downtrodden people are downtrodden because their world is defined to them and they accept that as given. And it, it puts them in a um, in a, an oppressed posi- oppressed was his word, an oppressed position and keeps them there. And so he would first do the work of helping them rename their world to reflect their value structure, and so once they'd done that, it became clear to them what good would look like, right, and then you could be they could begin to work towards achieving good goodness uh, step by step. Community organizing is a very sequential business. it is not a a, a silver bullet or a magic in many ways uh, it's it's very sequential it's not well it can have moments of drama, but mostly it's just kind of quiet um empowering work um where the sum is much greater or when the whole is much greater than the sum of its parts and it's really interesting cuz when when Michael and I worked together he because he was an american he brought alinsky and and i brought frieri and uh and the work that we did together was kind of a melding of those of those two it is interesting because Paulo Freire, who published in 61, he he is is having a bit of a of a comeback. Uh there's a whole bunch of people now who are rediscovering Paulo Freire. Pedagogy of the Oppressed was his major work. And um um Alinsky, his major work was called um I thought it was Reveille for Radicals, but which was published in 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 46 3 years after I was born, but it's actually uh, Rules for Radicals, published in 1971, and uh, Rules for Radicals is so was so effective that the Tea Party in the pre-Trump days did an amendment of that called Rules for Patriots, which were obviously used to great effect uh, by the Tea Party. Um, I mean, I think you could say that their strategies put Trump into power. So, you know, these things are still alive and well um, and, and working in our community. And that's because the strategies that organizers work are effective, but they are value neutral. So they can be used for good or evil.
0: But you can also say that it's not just what aligns with your values, it what, what your goals are. When I think of the Tea Party and I think of other organi- other groups that I feel have been organized, you know, they've been manipulated. Yep. They're being harnessed to support an agenda. Yeah. And I don't feel like that agenda is actually in their interest. Right. Right. But the same tools can be used to round them up. And I'm thinking of the Intel yeah. movement. I'm thinking of the anti-vaccine yeah. movement. And I'm thinking of the Trump party hardliners yeah. that you know are sure that elections were, were stolen and all these other things that there is no evidence to back up and there is no personal benefit to be had for them. It's not going to help them live in a, in a fairer, more just or, 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 safer or more secure community. Um, personally it, it's, they've been, they've been pulled in. So I think that's really important, right. And, and it, to know that the same tools can be used for good and ill. Yes. But also to clarify, like, what exactly am I doing here? Do I want to be part of a group? That makes me feel good. I'm thinking now of Humankind by by Rutger Bregman. He just blew my mind when he started talking about the science and the research they've done into what makes people willing to kill as soldiers and, and how hard it is for us to get there. We are not naturally violent. The proof is strong. Uh, but how you get people there is not by you know feeding some bloodthirsty side of them. It's actually by gelling them with other people in such a tight connection socially that they will do anything mm-hmm. to be with, to walk and step with, to support and to save their their fellow you know colleagues. Yep, that building of comradeship, um, and that is celebrating you know making everybody have enough in common experiences have enough easy understanding of you know how to achieve success socially and and be rewarded because you did it right. Yeah, and those kind of safe, secure little um, spaces are so powerful. And I think that's something I'm seeing being used to terrifying effect, I think, in undermining the, the gel of our broader society. Yep,
1: I agree. And on that one, I would then go back to what Frieri talks about with working with the oppressed people, to have them name the world in their terms, because often people don't act in their own best interests, right? Because they misunderstand how the systems work. And there's lots and lots of investment in helping us misunderstand how the system works and the way to which it is To our benefit, I mean, we get spin, right? Spin, quote, quote. We get spin all the time. Everybody spins, and what they're trying to do is get you to see the world the way they want you to see it, so that you will do what they want you to do. Friere, who's really into empowerment, would say that you work with the people to help them help them name the world in a way that resonates with their interests, and it's not a, it's not a Quick deal, it you know. But you, what you're doing is you're unpacking the the how the systems work. Alinsky's thing was follow the money, right? Because he believed that capitalism was what made the world go round, and so that if you followed the money, you would find out whose interests were really being um, um, advanced in whatever the the deal was but there's a problem with that because then the people who <laughs> who move from being have-nots to being haves then he would admit then want to protect what they have and so they probably do that by oppressing other people so in a sense you just use the same system and you don't change the system you just change who benefits from the system uh whereas i think frieri he's about empowerment and and so he would believe that you're empowered when you name your world the way you want to. So you think very carefully about what these words mean. What does it mean to be a worker? What does it mean to be a daughter? What does it mean to be a mother? What does it mean to be a neighbor? What does it mean to be a leader? What does it mean to be a follower? Like, you know, all of those words, we throw them around as if it's Everybody knows what that means. But when you begin to really look at it, you don't know what it really means. And what it really means is really important. So he spent a lot of time. Well, and he worked with he worked with peasants who were illiterate. So that made a lot of sense to them. But I would say that in in our current time, most people are politically illiterate in the sense that they don't really understand the nature of power as it operates in their day to day life. And so helping them figure that out um, and begin to really question the way things are named, that's a kind of hard construct. But, well, here's an example in my day-to-day life, because you know that in, in my volunteer life, I'm very involved in housing. Everybody says housing is important, housing is a right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that word housing means two things. It means a roof over your head that protects you from our pretty harsh environment. And it also means the very best way to increase your wealth. So when you have one word that means both of those things and we don't question what we mean when we use that word in a particular context, we're going to go astray really easily. And that's what Freire would do. Well, What do we mean by housing when we're talking about affordable housing? What do we mean? And you would you know, back down into... That small group saying, well, what we want when we say affordable housing is X, Y, Z. That's what we want. That's what we mean by it. And then taking whatever actions they need to take to achieve that goal, their goal, their goal.
0: So let's talk about community development uh, for good by my values, which would be empowering people and helping build communities that are more sustainable and fair and understandable and understood and broadly supported and body supportive i feel like it had an era when you were young and i was not born yet or just a toddler and that era has changed dramatically it hasn't gone away If, if i can make you talk in broad strokes looking back has it got other eras how has it moved along in your in your perspective
1: Talk about the 60s. So the 60s was a time of significant unrest, uh, particularly with young people. And the system, I'm going to use that for shorthand, was worried about young people. They were a a significant population, right? That was the boomers in the early days. So they were a big part of the population. Um, They were feeling their oats uh, rather more than some of their um, ancestors, right? Because they hadn't gone through the Depression, they hadn't gone through the war. Um, so they'd had a pretty good life. So they had ideas about wh- what the world should be like. So there was some interest in harnessing that energy for good rather than evil because there was a lot of student unrest at that point. So one of the reasons I think that the system, it was you know, a variation on the devil finds work for idle hands. So it said, well, let's give these young people money to make their communities what they want it to be. So there was a lot of money available for community development. And basically, where two or three people are gathered together, you write a grant and you get some money. You didn't get much money, but you probably didn't need much money either in order to do pretty well in those days. And uh, so you would, I don't know, fix up your neighbourhood, fix up um, housing that was substandard. Uh, You would build daycares. You would, you know, do all of these projects that were of immediate uh, value. However, (laughs) um, well, I think then the system got a little bit worried about uh, people getting carried away with this and they began to institutionalize it. So it used to be then you could get money. In fact, you could even get pretty good money, but you were accountable to the government who gave you that money and you had to report to them on this, that, and the other outcomes. And so then you are using your skills, et cetera, not, not not necessarily for what the people that you're working with want, but what the government, let's just say, funded you to accomplish, right?
0: And also you've got like this compliance burden. Yeah. You've got this administrative cost yeah. of how do I track and prove yeah. as opposed to simply it was done. See, ta here's a picture. Everyone's happy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You weren't a free agent. Like before, you would be working for the community. In this case, you are working, I'm going to say, for the government uh, on behalf of the community. But your real boss is the government. So there was that tension that was beginning to be pretty redolent um, in the the 70s. Um, And there was lots of fighting within the field about what real community development was and could you do real community development if you were paid by the government. And we were part of that, right? It meant you went and did what you thought needed to be done, but you were also poor. I mean, we we were... It was one year when I think we made probably about four thousand dollars in the full year. you were we had three kids at that point too, right? so at some point you think, "Oh my God, like I have to make a choice between poverty and 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 working for the community because if you're working for an oppressed community, they probably don't have resources and Then I think the other thing that happened, you know the whole community organizing thing that became institutionalized, so right now, currently. Agencies are required to work in collaboration with the other agencies who also serve that same population. So there are mandated tables, service tables, like for social service workers, for people who are serving the just in the justice system. The province just required every municipality to have a a poverty reduction round table that has certain kinds of involvement, etc. So that's community organizing, but mandated. So what drumbeat does it march to? not the drumbeat of the people around the table necessarily, right? And in fact, a lot of those tables, and believe me, I've sat around many of them, they are not mechanisms for change. They are at the very best, a relatively efficient way of sharing information about what you're doing. And almost always, they are a a means where you talk about this is what we need, what we need, what we need. And those groups hardly ever, hardly ever develop new resources to address the need. Very seldom that they, in fact, move into action. So it becomes a, you know, a bitch and moan session by and large, which may make the people sitting around it feel a little bit better because they're not the only ones who can't do the job they want to do because they don't have the resources they need. Um, but are they in a position to do anything about it? No. And, you know, when I sat around those tables wearing a, uh, an executive director hat, I was much more constrained in terms of what I could say and what I could do than when I was no longer um, a waged person. I was just a citizen. And then I was, you know, I was a force to be contended with around those tables if I could elbow my way in. Um And, you know, you can elbow your way in because nobody wants to be impolite and tell you you're not wanted, although that has happened on occasion. But by and large, you can just say, I have resources to offer and I would be pleased to sit around your table and offer what resources I can. Um, And they'll say, "Ah, well, okay then. And so then you can say things and you can do things that nobody else can do um, because nobody's your boss. Nobody's your boss. So in some ways, that to me is like going back to being um, the kind of community development worker in the olden days where you either weren't paid by anybody important or you were but disregarded that, right? You sort of said, you sort of redefined (laughs) what the power relationship was. Um, So you would say to the government who was funding you, yes, yes, but... The goal was to X, Y, Z, and and in order to achieve the goal, I can't do what you want me to do. I have to do what the community wants me to do. But don't worry, we'll get to where we need to get to, and you'll be happy with it. And then you make sure that they are happy with it by defining, redefining it to them. Do I sound manipulative? Yes, I do. And um, yes, I am. <laughs> and guess what? I think that's a really, really good skill to bring to bear. It's really just doing unto them what them has done to us right
0: as long as you can be confident that you are actually achieving a goal um that is serving the people that are giving you the spot in the first place you haven't switched to the dark side of i'm hurting them and manipulating them towards some goal that actually does not benefit them it just needs a voice behind
1: it right and my metaphor there i think community organizing is exactly like parenting where you do the best you can until the kid is 18, 21, whatever age, and then they launch into the world. It's their life to live. And how good a job you did is judged by how well they turn out, right? That was my father's benediction to me. Well, I did the best I could for 18 years, and now it's time to see how good a job I did. And I'm thinking, holy crap, that means I really need to, you know, be a good person, do a good thing in order to justify my father's investment in me. Um, And maybe I raised you guys in the same way, I don't know. But I think that community organizing is just a start. So first you prepare the ground, then you sow the seed, then you do what you can to ensure that the seed germinates, right? But at some point, at some point you walk away and what happens to that crop happens to that crop and somebody else reaps it, right? You don't reap it somebody else does. Oh, yeah. I,
0: think, I think the farmer and the field is too top down for what you described to me initially, which is an invisible force. Right. So maybe it would be more of a, I did a lot of listening to the ground in order to be yeah. a good gardener and, um, and the ground and the space around me, therefore flourished for my presence like it's one step away from breaking the ground and choosing what seeds to sow. It's it's a much more um, time, if- more time spent listening and and supporting uh, back to being invisible. Would that be a kind of a different way to think of of, of an opportunity, a way to be uh, a supporter of community?
1: Yeah, you absolutely are a facilitator. That is absolutely true, and you're probably a one down facility You facilitate from beneath as opposed to facilitating from on top, right? You don't, like sometimes facilitation is you can talk now and it's your turn to talk now, et cetera. And you ensure that everybody has their chance to talk that kind of facilitation. But I'm talking about getting the right people around the table, having them be confident about that they have something to offer to that table, helping them begin to understand what that might be, blah, blah, blah. But you see, a farmer never really owns his land, does he? He nurtures his land. A good farmer nurtures his land. And he understands that the crop he grows, he didn't grow that crop. A whole lot of other things combined to grow that crop. He did his part, but it's not his crop. It's the crop that the earth brought forth. And you know, the Indigenous people really have a handle on this, right? You know, you work with nature. You do not think you can be the boss of nature. There's Sam's verse there. You're not the boss of nature. You have to work with nature. Same thing with people, I think, that you have to work with them. You shouldn't be the boss of them. The ethic is you have to do the best you can do, and you have to be as honest as you can about that. Um, you can't win them all. Some do better than others, but your job is pretty clear. Your job is to create the conditions under which the people in your community work together to make the world the place they want it to be—a better place. I'm going to say a better place because if it's a world you don't want it to be, you're not going to be part of that community. You're going to you're going to withdraw.
0: And really, you're supporting autonomy.
1: Absolutely,
0: autonomy of a community of people collaborating together. And it taught me of each person in that community, feeling like I have a place here. I have a value here. I need to speak up, lend a hand. Right. Absolutely. Be part of that conversation and and be part of that work.
1: Yep. Absolutely. So different kinds of leadership, different kinds of followership, because, you know, good followers are crucial. We think good leaders are crucial and they are, but good followers are crucial too. We don't teach good followership very often. Um, yeah, it's
0: not wait for direction and don't do anything until it's been clearly spelled out to you and then only do exactly what you clearly know you're supposed to do. Following is a much more interactive and autonomous role.
1: Autonomy is the important word there, right? Yeah, yeah. So a follower would say, um, I'm doing this because that's what we thought I should do. But you know what? I think if I did it a little bit differently, it would be more useful. And then the leader says, darn right, go for it. Right? So it is the autonomy. It is the sense of agency. And it's a collaboration. Um, yes, collaboration. Absolutely. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. What were the four? You did those four happiness things. I thought they were amazing. Connecting, acting, learning, giving. Ah, there you go. All of them. All of them. Yep. All of them is what you nurture in the community, et cetera. And then to talk about community. So it's a community of interest. It could be a geographic community. It could be any group of people who share a concern uh, that's crucial enough to them that they want to do something about it that 's the definition of community. Um, so it 's kind of elastic, right um, it It grows et cetera it may it probably over time changes a little bit because as a group takes sequential action, it will become more clear to them where it is they're going and what they have to do to get there. And they may change their goal. They may think, well, I thought we wanted this. But in fact, "Eh," the closer we get, it isn't quite that. It's something else.
0: That makes me think about, um, I do think it's important to distinguish between communities that only have an idea in common and communities that have a space as well in common. Mm -hmm. Because when you have a space that you need to share, how you share and own that space is really powerful. And I feel like it's a giant Black hole right now, that that there are lots of First Nation communities saying hello. Have you noticed where you're standing? Oh yeah, this is an important part of your life. Yeah. Have you noticed who's next door to you? Yeah. How are you relating to the space that you physically hold, mm-hmm. and and not just living with people like you and I are right now at a remove <laughs> through the internet <laughs> or over the phone or people that are that you have enough in common with that it's very easy to chit chat and visit, but but to do the work of of building community um, where you live. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do feel like that's something that, that in our settler, I've got to say, it's a settler thing in our settler culture. We have almost been trained not yeah. to root ourselves too deeply yeah. and to be ready to pick up and move to where we're needed as workers. Yeah. Um, where in fact, I think the future to get through a time of, of chaos, um, there could be great resilience found in just rooting yourselves. Yeah. Where you can and connecting with who's around you and what's
1: around you. Well, what you would do, I think, is invite your nature, your, your, your physical nature, into your community. That would have a chair around the table, if you like. There's this construct Gemeinschaft, Gazelleschaft, from sociology a million years ago. But it's always been in my mind. So Gemeinschaft is a group of people where they're, you know them intimately. Gazelleschaft is like a big city. Like a big group of people, but they're not people that you know individually. And I think that that change needs to be Gemeinschaft change. Now, anybody listening to your podcast who's a more recently informed sociologist may say that I'm all wet because I am remembering something from a few decades ago that I have not refreshed my mind about. It just keeps coming up.
0: But I'm also thinking of a story you tell about being... Um audience to somebody pontificating about their grand strategy to move unemployment strategically around so everybody gets a chance at it or something like that, or move jobs around, something like that that just had steam coming out of your ears. Yeah.
1: Oh, it, it was a training program that went desperately bad, right? Because that's why we were so upset is that the basic construct that this government group was into is how do you get people to basically be ready to move wherever the work needs them, um, which is a way to destroy community, right? And I do think that that movement, which started a long time ago, where, you know, your employer can move you around as they choose. And you look at like the OPP, the RCMP Lots of people they have that as a strategy is they don't want their people getting too connected with their community because then they say that will impede them doing their work. But what I think they mean is that that will impede them doing the work the way the organization, the institution wants them to do the work. So yeah, the the methodical destruction of geographic community indeed is, I think, a strategy that's been in play for decades to the diminishment of our well-being. I want to put Friari in here again, because Friari, his basic rule, like Solinsky was immediate, specific and realizable. He basically said that when a group of people has figured out what the goal is, every step towards that goal needs to be an action that is specific, immediate and realizable. And there's real truth to that. That is one of the my little things that I live by. Um, but Frieri he said, what differentiates human beings from animals is they can reflect on their actions and change their understanding of the world based on that. So he said that is a two-step. You should act on your reflections, and then you could reflect on your actions, and then you reflect act on that reflection right you you rethink the situation given what has changed as a consequence of the action that you've taken and you recalibrate your goal how you get to your goal based on that learning and then you take another action and i've used that two step thing effectively like in personal counseling when a person's stuck you say are you stuck in action or are you stuck in reflection and if you're stuck in reflection then take an action. And it doesn't have to be the right action. It just needs to be any action. And then you can figure out what the next action needs to be. And you can do the same thing with people who are stuck in action. Say like, slow down, figure out what you really want to do, and then do it and see if that gets you to where it is that you want to go. Action, he called it praxis, reflecting on action and acting on reflection. That's what builds community, is when they do that individually, but also collectively or collaboratively. Because if you've got, say, 10 people who share a goal, why each of them wants that goal, values that goal is going to differ. It should differ because in that disparity is strength. And in coming to a common understanding about where the overlaps are among everybody's perspective, that builds very strong community. It also feels really good to do that kind of cognitive work. And then you take an action, a collaborative action, and then you bring those 10 minds again to thinking about, okay, that's what we did. Where did that get us in terms of progress towards our larger goal? And each of those 10 people will have gone through an individual learning as well. So the 10 people that sit around the table after an action are slightly different than the 10 people who sat around it before the action right? Because there's individual change as well as group change. So, so that to me gives sustainability. And I said that, uh, it's kind of like, it's kind of like raising children that once they've, you know, once you've launched them into adulthood, you kind of, they're out of your hands. Um, they'll do the best they can by and large, but what they have is a whole bunch of skills To act and reflect in life, right? They can know how to set goals and they know how to act to achieve those goals and reflect on the consequences of their actions and move ever closer towards their goals, which may change over time or at least get more fine tuned over time. They might change too.
0: So, I think one thing I feel like you're saying is that we've, as a community, failed to learn some important life skills that would be helpful right now. Absolutely. So do you think that that this is a time for community development, that it could be powerful in getting us
1: through this this time of crisis? Absolutely. I think it's crucial. I can't see any other way to get out of the mess that we're in. And so in my mind, you know, the Take Back the Night movement that the women did as part of their the development of feminism? I think we're into a Take Back the Community stage of development in society. Uh, Absolutely, take back the community. So a community that understands they have a shared destiny and that everybody has a part to play in um, making that the best possible destiny and that how to achieve that, it is a work of constant change. But that process is what makes us human. It, it, it affirms our humanity every single day and it builds our community every single day. I give you Margaret Mead, right? Margaret Mead, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. I think she's bang on, bang on, bang on. And I think we have not just forgotten how to do that. I think we've been trained not to do that. I think that there's many, many elements in our culture that actively discourage community and we need to
0: first you need to see them yeah and then you need to give yourself permission to explore yeah Yeah. what good looks like
1: It, it not only permit like it's not only permission i think we have an obligation to say what does good look like like i get sick and tired of people who just say what's wrong with what is um, you know, I say like, what does good look like? Okay, like put a solution, put your idea of a, of a solution on the table, then we can talk. But as long as you're just bitching about what is, we have nothing to talk about, right? Tell me what good looks like. And if it's what my idea of good looks like, which I also have to figure out, then you know what? We've got a conversation to be had. And when you and I have a conversation to be had, then there's probably a third person that you could think of that might well join that conversation. And, and that's how community grows. That's how community grows.
0: The only way to get out of the mess we are in is to build our community. That was Dr. Faye Martin, my mom. Oats and beans and barley grow. Oats and beans and barley grow. Do you or I or anyone know how oats and beans and barley grow? Oats and beans and barley grow. Oats and beans and barley grow. Do you or I or anyone know how oats and beans and barley grow? Well, do we? I mean, it is a miracle. And that song kept coming to my mind when Mom was talking about farming as a metaphor for community development. We don't really know how a seed grows, but we do know quite a bit about how to help it grow. We know how to garden and nurture. We know how to help raise families, and we do know how to build community. We could learn more, too. (laughs) So Mum summed up the four keys of happiness saying that that Paul Berger introduced those ideas to her and they just make perfect sense. That was in the episode a couple weeks ago, The Places You'll Go Edition. Uh, Something different this way comes. She said that that about sums up what good looks like for her when it comes to nourishing a sustainable and sustaining community. So, I took that seed and I nourished it till it grew up to be this song for you. Debuted right here, right now, hot off the press the Paulo Freire Two-Step. child Reflect, then act, then reflect on that act and act again It's the Paolo Freire these are the four doors to feeling blessed and we'll build a community renew the wild Have it. the Paolo Friari two-step song and the Paolo Friari two-step edition of Something Different This Way Comes. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Faye Martin. I know I enjoyed it. It's my mom. But what a lot she shared in there. So much to think about. If you found it entertaining, if you found it informative or inspiring, and you'd be happy to treat me to a coffee if you bumped into me a coffee shop, consider becoming a patron of Something Different This Way Comes. All you have to do, go to www. Something Different This Way Comes.ca. Look for the GoFundMe button and know that I will thank you on that podcast webpage and share with you all the expenses your donation will help cover. Because this podcast is entirely independent. No sponsors, no advertising, no one writing or composing or editing or interviewing except me. But if you can't pitch in right now, that's fine too. Don't worry about it. Give it a good review. Recommend it to a friend. Follow it so you're sure not to miss an episode. All those things make such a difference. They're so appreciated. And I hope you come back and join me again next Tuesday. Something different. This way comes something. Something different. Something different. Something different. This way comes something. Something different. Something different